This is the Visible Hand. My name is Jordi Blanes y Vidal. My guest today is Robert Dur, who is a professor of economics of incentives and performance at the Erasmus University Rotterdam. Today, we are going to talk about his paper, Team Incentives, Social Cohesion and Performance, a Natural Field Experiment, which is joined with Jose Delgauf, Oke Onemu, and Joeri Sol, and was published in Management Science in 2021. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jordi. So, Robert, the paper is called, again, Team Incentives, Social Cohesion and Performance. I would like to start by defining the terms that we are using here. Can you first tell us what team incentives are? Yeah, so team incentives are a way of paying for performance based on uh, or defined as a team performance. And so it's the team performance that matters for the people's pay. So this means that all of us put effort, we are evaluated together. If we succeed somehow, we receive some type of a payment that we divide among ourselves equally or unequally, etc. Yeah, and typically yeah, in uh, real world situations, in real companies, the division of the bonus is not really, you know, up to the people in the team, that's typically equal. So you just get it paid out as part of your salary. And I think it hardly ever happens that people make transfers or start negotiating about how to divide the team bonus. But yeah, indeed, you may sometimes, uh, you know, you may need to meet a threshold in terms of performance, but there are also team incentives that are uh, continuous in performance. So the better you do, the the higher the amount is. Uh, So there are these different forms of team incentives. So even though I have just asked you about it, team incentives is actually a concept that economists are typically familiar with. You have just described it very well. On the other hand, social cohesion is a term whose meaning may not be super obvious to economists. What is social cohesion? Yeah, so in our paper, social cohesion basically means the altruism among co-workers in the team. So how much do they care about each other's interest, about each other's welfare, utility? So we labeled it social cohesion, and that is in line with some parts of the literature in management. But yeah, we have also other papers on this, and there sometimes we were actually encouraged by reviewers or sometimes forced to give it a different label. (laughs) Like, for instance, co-worker altruism. And so, yeah, so in terms of the exact labeling, eh, the different literatures, they have different traditions. And in our paper, well, we hope to speak to several literatures. And so we adopted the term from one strand in the management literature where these feelings of workers towards one another, how much they care about one another, are summarized by the term social cohesion. Yeah. So indeed, in the paper, you have like several definitions that come from people outside economics. I thought they were psychologists, but you're saying now that they are like management scholars. Carles and De Paola, you write there, the motivation to develop and maintain social relations within the group. You know, not super clear what this means, but what you're saying is translating it into the frameworks that we economists use. Essentially, this means the individuals in the team uh, or the utility that the individuals in the team receive depends positively and directly from the success of their colleagues, success or performance or payment or utility itself of their colleagues. Yeah, and in in particular, the latter. That is my favorite uh, definition. And it's also uh, so that people care about each other's well-being or utility. So a, a broad perspective rather than narrow Yeah, so because uh, the paper that we discussed today actually was inspired by a theory paper we did a couple of years before. 
And so, in the, yeah, in the theory paper, of course, you need to be very specific about what you mean. And there, it, it literally is had that worker a worker's utility may depend on the utility of a, a co-worker. Okay, wonderful. Now that we understand the concepts, can you tell us what is the main question or the main questions that you study in this paper? Yeah, so there are two main questions. The first question is about the effect of team incentives on the performance of the team. And in particular, we are interested in the question, is there a bigger effect of team incentives on performance if the social cohesion in the team is high? So in other words, if workers care a lot about each other, is it the case that a team incentive has a bigger effect on team performance? And the basic reasoning behind it is that we expect less free riding if people care about each other. So that's the first question that we address in the paper. And the second question that we address is, what is the effect of team incentives on social cohesion in the team? Might it be that the introduction of team incentives have any repercussions, positive or negative, or how much people in the team care about each other? That's the second issue. So there are two thoughts that come from what you have just said. Uh, the first one is like, you have talked about free riding in teams. The idea of free riding in teams is that If I am going to put effort to contribute to the wider good, but I'm getting only like a fraction uh, of the result of my effort, I may be less willing to put effort than if I was getting all the benefit. Like it is a well-known problem about team incentives. Now, the presence of social cohesion should increase the effect of team incentives, even in a hypothetical scenario in which there was no free riding, right? Because the moment that you put something else on the utility function, an additional benefit in the utility function, there should be an effect. Even if, or regardless of the level of effort that the workers would have put in the absence of social cohesion. The existence of, of free riding or not is not sufficient or necessary condition for social cohesion to positively affect the effect of team incentives on performance. Yeah, so I agree on that. But yeah, so as I said, so the starting point of our analysis is a theory paper we did. Huh? And in this theory paper, yeah, so one benchmark case is that of selfish workers who work in a team and are remunerated on the basis of team performance. Now, then you naturally get free riding eh, because the people don't take into account each other's interest. And then once you introduce co-worker altruism, then free riding becomes less eh, because now people also start to gain not only from receiving a team bonus themselves, but they also take into account that by working harder, becomes more likely that their colleagues receive a team bonus, which they now also enjoy. And so then the prediction is that people will work harder if they like each other more in a in a in a team uh, when we provided uh, with team incentives so i i do agree with your main statement like you know if you add something to the utility function uh, that is positively dependent on uh, whenever there is something that you add to the utility function such that the marginal benefit of effort is higher in this case social cohesion there's going to be more effort so i mean of course i do agree with that yes But I tend to like develop models that, you know, I feel like, you know, sort of sketch a situation in practice. I think free riding is something that happens in real life and social cohesion, by the way, as well. It's if you ask employees, then uh, they tend to find this very important. And many people tend to say that their co many of their colleagues are, are friends of them. And so we here sort of combine the two things to see what, what it may mean for the effectiveness of particular incentive schemes, in particular team incentives. So the, the second thought that I had was in terms of the mechanics of how to 
study estimate the two questions that you were referring to as being the most important questions in the paper? Question number one, whether the effect of team incentives on performance is stronger in groups with more social cohesion. Question number two, whether team incentives affect social cohesion. Now, this second question is mechanically a relatively straightforward question. You're going to have a regression in which there is a measure of social cohesion on the left-hand side. That's obviously, you're going to tell us it's going to come from a survey. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's going to be some measurement error, whatever. But it's just going to be a regression of social cohesion on team incentives that you hopefully have created randomly or exogenously or whatever. Yeah, that's correct. The first question is a little bit different from a mechanical perspective in that it is going to involve an interaction. So you are going to have performance on the left-hand side. Then some teams are going to have team incentives and other teams are not going to have team incentives. Some teams are going to have out of social cohesion. Other teams are going to have less social cohesion. Your hypothesis is that the interaction between team incentives and social cohesion in this regression that has performance on the left-hand side is going to be positively associated with performance. So here you are going to need for identification, the interaction to be exogenously created. And that's going to be a challenge that is not at all specific to your paper. <laughs> you know, I want to discuss how this challenge is like wide across many different studies that, that have mm -hmm. performance on the left hand side. Can you now tell us what is the field experiment that you run? Yeah, so the field experiment indeed involves the introduction of a team incentive, and it is implemented only in randomly assigned teams. So we have a, a field experiment in a retail chain. The retail chain consists of about 120 or so stores that are pretty much comparable. And in 70 of those stores, there will be team incentives for a period of six weeks. And in the other 50 stores, there are no team incentives. It's business as usual. And the business as usual here is no incentives. Yeah, then we have measurement of social cohesion at two points in time. So before the experiment, so before any announcement of anything, we have a measurement of social cohesion in all those 120 stores. And we also have one a few weeks after the team incentive ended also in all the 120 stores. And then indeed, as you were just pointing out, uh, Jordi, then yeah, we look at two outcomes. The first is, do we see bigger increases in performance in stores that before the experiment had higher social cohesion as compared to comparable stores that also have high social cohesion, of course, as one should compare uh, apples with apples. And we look at whether in those uh, 70 stores that were exposed to team incentives where you see a different level of social cohesion afterwards as compared to the control group. Yeah. I want to I want to go to through some of the details uh, here to understand what you have done, but also the reasons as, you, as to why you have uh, made specific choices. You say that the baseline was no incentives. When you introduce incentives, clearly for the setting of these like retail stores that you are going to evaluate, the only possibility really is team incentives, right? Because the performance of every individual employee of a specific store cannot be evaluated separately. Like they all contribute 
to a store having higher sales or lower sales, but we cannot say that it was a particular cashier or a particular shop attendant that was uniquely responsible for this sale or the other sale, etc. Yeah. Yeah, this is also how the, the people at the headquarters talk about their business. And so we have, of course, also talked about individual incentive pay. And then they, they find this a very bad idea because they feel that what these people do in the stores is really yeah, teamwork. Yeah? So there are several tasks, but it's typically also not very pleasurable to do the same task all the time. Moreover, several of the tasks, uh, the uh, performance of it is very hard to um, measure. And so, yeah, whenever you would introduce individual incentive pay, then probably everybody wants to do the task that is incentivized. So this would create all kinds of problems. And so that it should be team incentives. Uh, yeah, that was clear for the, uh, the people at the headquarters from the very beginning. And these people at the headquarters are, of course, important in the design of the experiment because it's not like that we have a huge budget of money from the university and then, you know, visit headquarters of, of retail chains and say, oh, you know, can we run this uh, sales incentive experiment at your place or something like that? We have no money uh, uh, at all. Uh, moreover, even if I had it, I'm not sure whether I want to spend it on it. And so we need uh, like uh, to convince the management at these headquarters that this is like a a good idea, sensible idea to do that it fits with the, their uh, business. And and honestly, I also actually quite like that and learn a lot from those kind of conversations because uh, you hear their perspective about how things are, are running. You, we, we, of course, also, you know, give our view and what we know from, from, from the literature, among uh, others, but to, to sort of, yeah, try find our way in the, uh, to, between what is feasible and what uh, fits with what they think would be good. And, and yeah, what, what we think is worth studying is, uh, is also a nice part of, uh, of, of running a field experiment, I believe. So you have mentioned a couple of things. The first one is the, the, the baseline was that there were no incentives. Now, you have just mentioned we had to convince them you know to get their buy-in uh, to introduce this one thing that you mentioned in the paper is that the consensus here is that the actions and efforts of the employees do not have necessarily like enormous effect on sales so it's not as if employees can just pull this lever and magically create sales you say the effect of incentive pays between zero and five percentage points so clearly not massive I'm asking this because this is clearly in terms of like running this type of field experiment going to create a, a power issue, right? That it's not going to be, you know, if, if the effects are not massive, it's not going to be so easy to detect them statistically. No, I completely agree with you. Honestly, when we started this project, I mean, it was not immediately clear that we should do it, you know? And so I, I believe that power issues should play a role in determining whether to pursue a project or not. And here, this was something that we discussed quite for quite a long time. I mean, if you can convince a retail chain with many more stores, that would, of course, be much better. I've been giving sometimes talks at those uh, professional conferences for marketeers and stuff and HR people. And then one time I got into contact with the um, HR manager of like a huge global chain with like tens of thousands of stores worldwide. Yeah, that would, of course, be fantastic, right? To, to run experiments there, then you could also compare between countries and cultures and all that. 
But uh, yeah, typically, I mean, most researchers, if not all uh, so far, they, they end up with relatively small retail chains or, or companies with, with just, you know, uh, yeah, a limited number of uh, units. And yeah, you only learn over time eh, uh, how serious power issues are. Eh? So, uh, yeah, beforehand, you just also just don't know what kind of effect to expect, as you were just pointing out. And uh, nobody was expecting like huge effects given the particular context here, right? Because we're talking here about shops where they sell shoes and clothing and then not of the most expensive type. In fact, this was is more a chain of budget stores. And so it's not that customers need a lot of advice where peop- the employees need to put in a lot of effort to provide advice or, or it's not like that. Um, and so the room for improvement is limited in, in our context. Yeah. So partly to deal also with this power, uh, power issue, you also introduce these team incentives as a tournament of teams. Can you describe how that works? Yeah, well, the main reason, so because when you in, implement a team incentive in this environment, eh, then of course, one thing one could do, and that is perhaps the simplest what you can do eh, is to define a target for the team. Eh? So you could say, uh, if you reach five percentage point increase in sales, then you get the bonus and otherwise not. Or you could make it continuous and say, you know, every percentage point increase in sales growth, you get a, a higher bonus. Eh? So, so th- this is one way to uh, to do it. So you would m- make use of an absolute performance um, uh, metric. Now, here we use a relative performance metric. And the way we do it is by setting up a tournament with stores that are comparable. And the main reason for that is that in this context, performance is highly volatile. And also, it is very difficult to predict. So in the in the paper, we also have a figure where you can see uh, sales performance. What, what you can see uh, sales performance over time is that, you know, there are times when sales like increases by 30, 40, 50 percent or something like that. But there are also times where you see like big negative numbers in terms of the change in sales. And some of those big numbers can be explained. For instance, like uh, uh, the, the Eastern break is not every year exactly the same week or uh, school holidays at a different point in time. And th- those may make a big difference in terms of uh, sales. But um, yeah, then still there remains to be a big part of the variation in performance. Unexplained, very hard to predict, yet uh, having a high common element. That's what we, what, we, what we see in the data. And then relative performance uh, works very well because it filters out those common shocks. And so in very bad times, the, the incentive scheme is still uh, powerful. Because, I mean, I mean, everybody is having a difficult time performing well. Everybody is seeing negative numbers. And in the tournament, uh, the idea is to uh, try and have the, yeah, the, the smallest negative numbers. Uh, whereas um, in very good times, everybody is having it easy. But then just having good performance is not good enough. You need to do better than, than others. And hence, we chose a relative performance. By the way, I must admit that uh, initially in a previous experiment, years before this one, we actually tried absolute performance and it was a complete uh, mistake because uh, <laughs> yeah, it turned out that the company was uh, hit by a big common shock right before or in the first weeks of the of the experiment. And so and it was a negative shock. So all the performance targets that were defined on the basis of absolute performance were out of reach of all the stores. 
Uh, and so there was no way that you could ever uh, achieve it. And so the effect of the incentive scheme was was, was zero, of course. It was, it was a joke, you know. <laughs> so you put the, the 72 stores that were part of the treatment group, you put them into groups of four, and you told each of these members of the same group or stores that are members of the same group, if you increase your sales by more than the other three, then we're going to give you a bonus or we give every employee in that store a bonus. Now, these bonuses were of 75 euros for full-time employees, which you say is around 3% of earnings over a six-week period. That also sounds like a relatively small number, right? Like it doesn't seem like a huge amount. I mean, I guess it's not a huge amount for me, but even for them, if it is 3%, you know, that is not something that you would expect has massive effects on effort and therefore uh, sales growth. So there is another element through which maybe power might be, you know, a little, a little bit weaker than you would have wanted. Yeah, no, that's true. I do believe that 75 euro for people who are earning a minimum wage means more than for professors at the LSE. <laughs> so uh, I, I do. Or Rotterdam. Or Rotterdam, for that matter. Yeah. So I, I don't think that, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it is something for, for them, I believe. But maybe more important is that in these kind of tournaments, oftentimes there's more at stake than just the money. And that we have actually seen in a, another field experiment that we ran in a retail chain where we set up tournaments, some of them with monetary prices of the kind that we also study here, like 50 or maybe 75 euro. But in other stores, we did a treatment where we ran the very same kind of tournaments, but without any price money involved. And well, at least to us as a surprise, uh, at least by then, it turned out that those tournaments that didn't involve any money were quite successful in increasing performance. And uh, so such uh, motivations uh, that are about, you know, the honor of winning the tournament uh, or the pleasure of trying to end up first, presumably also have played a role in the tournaments that we ran here in this uh, particular field experiments. That me reminds me actually also of a, a paper that you have, Jordi, in the same journal, Management Science, where you look at uh, also a non-monetary incentive scheme, right, that has had huge effects, right? But that right. worked more on the in individual basis, right? And with yeah, that was individual basis. Honor and shame, right? Yeah. Yeah, I still use it in my teaching, actually, your paper. Uh, so do I. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> because I remember you told me that many reviewers were arguing that from the from your data, one, one could not uh, really conclude any firm things because there was no randomization, there was no <clears throat> control group, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I also teach my students that, you know, sometimes a before after design can be very convincing. And I, I, I always use your paper as an example, because what else could have? I, I think it is convincing. However, I think that the literature has moved to such a point in which today it will be difficult to publish this paper uh, in, the, in the management science. I think the standards have increased. But, you know, I, I am convinced by it. I'm, I'm glad to, to see that you are convinced as well. Okay, so we have the treatment. You have told us how what the treatment means, how it is generated. You run an experiment. We don't have to go into the balancing test and everything, you know. You did the, the randomization well. Can you tell us now how do you measure social cohesion in practice? How do you create a variable called social cohesion? 
Yeah, so we considered developing our own measurement instrument. So the, the, the way of measuring is, is through asking questions to employees uh, with, a, with, a, with a questionnaire. So that, that, is, that is the way that we do it. And then, of course, the big question is, so what do you ask in order to get a meaningful measure of social cohesion? And we thought about uh, developing questions ourselves, but we had very bad experience doing that in earlier studies. So sometimes we developed our own questions, but later on we really regretted because it turned out there wasn't a, or hardly any variation or people misunderstood. Or, and so in this paper, we thought what we should do is we should rely on other people who have thought much more and have much more expertise on how to design questions for questionnaires. And so we started reading a lot in the literature, organizational psychology, management literature, about um, social cohesion in the workplace. Now, and then we ended up with several candidate sets of questions to, to measure concepts that are close to co-worker altruism. And eventually we chose the one where we felt that the questions were, first of all, close to what we have in mind. And secondly, we're also yeah, not too outrageous to ask to employees in a Dutch retail chain because once you start reading in these literatures, then sometimes you come across sets of questions where you feel like, can I really ask these kind of questions, you know, to 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 employees? It would it would it would feel a bit a bit weird, you see. So, so you send these surveys to not the team, but the individual members of the team, right? It could be that there is like a store slash team that has ten employees. You didn't send a single questionnaire to be answered jointly <laughs> as part of a consensus by everybody during a meeting, but instead you sent 10 questionnaires. And this is obviously helpful because the response rate was relatively low. I mean, relatively in the sense of being lower than 100%. I don't know. Presumability is higher than what you expect for this type of questionnaires. I don't know. It was around 35%, which hopefully means that for every store or for almost every store, you got at least somebody who answered the, the, the questionnaire. Now, one thing that I was surprised to, to read is that the, if, if there is a story in which two different members answer the questionnaire and the questionnaire comes com contains questions like how often do the members of the store go out for social events together or is there a lot of friendship between the members of the store and everything? If you have two individual members who answer the questionnaire, it turns out that the correlation between their answers is not super high, right? So it was only around 0.2. So one way, again, I'm going back to the idea of measurement error, you know, or like noise and everything. One way to think about this is that there is this like a variable called social cohesion that exists, but we cannot measure directly. And then the individual members of the team receive imperfect signals of, from that variable, right? And then you ask them what their signals are with, with your questionnaire. Now, if their signals are really, really good, then they will be correlated both with the truth, but also with each other, because they are getting signals from the same phantom, if you want. Whereas if the signals are very imperfect, they will also be very little correlated with each other. The fact that the correlation is relatively low tells you that this variable that you're going to put in the right-hand side is subject to quite substantial measurement error. Yeah, yeah, I share this concern. And this is also one of the lessons that I take from the paper is that 
Like next time that I think about using questionnaire data in a field experiment, then somehow we should find a way to get a much higher response rate. It's not, of course, not always easy, but I don't rule out there are situations where you can, I don't know, maybe by setting it up during uh, an outing or where people get together. Anyway, as you were mentioning, you could also have sent one questionnaire to the whole team. Now, a problem in these stores is that they are hardly ever all together at the same place. And so these stores are open seven days a week. So typically only a handful of people of the whole team is is, is around. Um, but uh, yeah, I know. And uh, also uh, share your concern about the limited correlation between the uh, answers that are provided. The way you phrased it hey, is that, you know, the workers get a signal about the cohesion in the team and then they report it. But I see it more like that um, many of the social cohesion questions that we ask are about their personal experience. Eh? So for instance, some of my best friends are in this team. Eh? And it could of course uh, well be that, um, you know, for some workers in a team, the answer is yes. Whereas for others, the answer is no. Eh? So there may be some lonely guys in the team and some of them who are very well connected. Now, I think this opens up for another very interesting set of questions eh? about if we talk about social cohesion of a team, eh? Um, how how large is this team that is cohesive? As it, it is typically not a full team. It is oftentimes the case that there are some people who don't find that the cohesion is very high. And uh, so how about, you know, if you have maybe if, in bigger teams, if there are like subgroups in the in the team. Huh? So I, I think that is something very interesting to study in a, yeah, in, a, in another study that then definitely should have more teams and also a better measurement of cohesion uh, so that you have a higher response rate because those low response rates were definitely also uh, a concern to us. Let me emphasize that this is not... I have mentioned power measurement error several times. I haven't mentioned them as a criticism, but instead as an indication of my surprise that you actually got statistically significant coefficients in the regressions that that, that you run, right? Because conditional on the fact that you, you find some effects, all these issues are not so important. They are important from an ex-ante perspective in that you will expect that even if the effects are there, it will be difficult to detect them. But can you tell us now what are the baseline effects that you that you found? The main regression is going to be, as we have mentioned, sales growth on the left-hand side. You are going to have store fixed effects, weak fixed effects, the interaction between a treated store and the social cohesion in the you know in, in the members of the team what do you find yeah so what we find is that on average the uh, team incentives lead to a sales performance increase of 1.5 percentage points and that estimate is not significantly different from zero it's quite imprecisely estimated but uh, in teams that are more cohesive so a standard deviation more in team cohesion social cohesion uh, means uh, quite a big increase in the uh, effect of team incentives. So then you move up to a like three or four percentage points increase in uh, in sales. And talking about statistical significance for the top 25% in terms of social cohesion uh, teams, uh, there we see a statistically significant 
effect on sales performance because of the introduction of the team incentives. And so these results nicely line up with the theoretical prediction. So for team incentives to work well, uh, what you need is, uh, or what helps at least, is uh, if there's sufficiently high social cohesion in the team. So I, at the beginning, wanted to frame this main question in the paper as an interaction in order to understand what you would ideally need to identify the effect of this interaction. So what we want typically is an independent variable being randomly or exogenously generated. In your setting, the independent variable is the interaction. Through your experiment, you have randomly generated one element of this interaction, which is the presence of team incentives. The other element, which is social cohesion, obviously has not been randomly generated. It will be difficult even to think about what you will have to do in order to you know, exogenously treat the social cohesion uh, in a team. So therefore, what you do is the, the standard approach of taking other characteristics of the team and also interacting them with uh, team incentives. What are these other characteristics that you thought were important to include as an interaction in the regression in order to help isolate the effect of social cohesion on the relation between team incentives and performance? Yeah, for the selection of these variables eh, that may cause a bias in the estimate, we also relied on the same organizational psychology and management literature and so we looked for variables in that literature that tend to correlate with social cohesion among workers and where we felt that they might also put a stamp on the effect of team incentives okay? because then there, there, might, there might be the risk of a bias in our uh, uh, estimate of main interest. And uh, then, so we found two of those uh, variables. So the first is... Um, yeah, it's a variable about the type of leadership. So whether the leadership is experienced as supportive or more or less directive. So that is a scale. Uh, so that turns out to be correlated with uh, team cohesion uh, in a positive way. So uh, social cohesion and supportive leadership are positively correlated. And of course, it might be that the supportive leadership may also make team incentives more or for that matter less effective and so that would be uh, a big problem and the second uh, variable that we uh, got from this uh, from these literatures is uh, what is called task cohesion and in in yeah in the language of economics this is a variable that measures uh, whether people have sort of a, a common goal in mind and whether they find that important in, in the workplace so was that common goal measured prior to the introduction of the incentives yes yeah so uh, this task, um, uh, this task significance variable, as well as the leadership variable, were measured uh, both of them before the experiment started. So, in the same round of questionnaires, where we also collected data about the baseline level of social cohesion. Yeah. Presumably, after controlling for these interactions, the main results survived. Uh, yes, it did. Yes. So, I have to, I have to say that. Yes, yeah, to reinforce my point, this is like the, the completely standard approach. Like a good example of this approach would be gender, right? Like there are a lot of, you know, studies about do men and women react differently to dot, 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 you know? And of course, typically this dot, dot, dot variable, you know, has been identified in one way or another, maybe with an experiment or not. 
But what you are not exogenously generating is gender, right? So it could be that the women in the study are younger or less young or smarter or less smart or more experienced or less experienced. And there is no way really to identify this interaction other than controlling for other interactions, right? So that, that is, you know, the, the best that we can do. That was with respect to the first question that you said was part of the, the study. What do you find with respect to the second question? Yeah, so the second question, so that is about how did the introduction of team incentives affect social cohesion in the team? What we find is a positive effect, but uh, very small and not significantly different from zero. And so, um, yeah, the, so the theoretical prediction um, was not so clear here. On the one hand, there are theories that say, look, if you introduce team incentives, then this may encourage people to form social relationships, to invest in altruism. Because on top of the benefits that friendship may give, you may also solve a free rider problem in the, um, uh, in, the, in the team incentives. So that would predict a better social uh, cohesion in teams after the introduction of team incentives. But uh, other theories, they point towards uh, yeah, workers putting peer pressure on one another if team incentives are introduced, who start punishing each other for poor performance or threatening with that. And presumably those kind of actions will result in worse social cohesion in teams. And so what we did in the study is that we also try and get an idea about these kind of behaviors. So about peer pressure and about helping behavior or investing in friendship. Uh, yeah, so what we find is uh, that there is some evidence that co-worker helping increases during the tournament, during the team incentives. We don't see a change in the, in the, in the peer pressure. Uh, yeah, all in all, it doesn't seem to be the case that social cohesion is much affected by team incentives, which I believe is also an important result because uh, when I talked with practitioners like HR managers uh, or sometimes CEOs, they often tell me like, oh, you know, I'd rather be very careful with team incentives because I fear that social cohesion in the team may really suffer and that would be very bad for turnover in the team. Well, our results, at least in our context, seem to indicate that yeah, one shouldn't be, one shouldn't have too much fear. Even though, of course, you know, there's there's always uncertainty around these estimates. They are not not super precise, but after our study, I think we should be less fearful. There are quite a few papers on team incentives, like in the last, say, ten years. You have done some of those. Is the literature? kind of over or you feel that there is um, need for more work and if, if so what would be the question that you would be interested in uh, studying with respect to team incentives yeah so i think the literature is not at all um, sort of finished i do believe that some some questions have now been studied in uh, like a series of papers but the context in which they are studied is oftentimes the same so so for instance uh, the question how do team incentives affect team performance? A very, very basic question. I believe the value added in some context is relatively low because there have been like a series of studies and, and, and I think retail is one of them. Huh? But there are uh, many contexts, like different occupations, sectors, where it hardly ever has been uh, studied and where I believe it would be useful to do follow-up studies. Regarding the social cohesion in teams, I believe there's still so much to do uh, because 
as you mentioned, so we make use of variation in pre-existing social cohesion across teams. Now, if you ask me, so, okay, so tell me, where does this variation come from? I don't know. I don't know. So we hope there is like a random element in it that would be helpful for our study. <laughs> but presumably, yeah, maybe leader, leaders' decisions or policies have been behind this. Interesting self-selection into teams issues are behind this. Maybe particular social activities that have been set up by the company or maybe sometimes by workers themselves are behind uh, all this. And I believe this formation of altruism here in the workplace is a super interesting thing to uh, study. And then also these issue, the issues that we talked before about, you know, that maybe in some teams you also get like sub teams of friendship and stuff and how that would play out, I think are very interesting things to study and have hardly been studied uh, so far. So, um, yeah, so if I get an opportunity to do follow up studies uh, in that uh, area, I would definitely take them and I hope that, that others will do as well. Thank you, Robert, for coming to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a great pleasure. This is the Visible Hand podcast. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed, introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan. <laughs>